Hi, New Life. Thank you so much for joining us today online. As always, we're so glad that you decided to join us and, and invest part of your weekend here, here with us. We are quickly drawing to a close on our summer series, New Beginnings, Freedom, and Fruit. And we've walked pretty systematically at this point through almost the entire book of Galatians. We only have one more week after this one where we will be focusing on Galatians. And as we've said repeatedly throughout this series, if you've missed any of those previous messages, please feel free to go online, newlifexn.org, and watch some of those previous messages. They've been very helpful, very beneficial. I know that I've enjoyed them uh, a lot as well. So avail yourself to that if you've missed any. But today, we're covering a topic with the Apostle Paul as he's walking through again with the Galatians in the letter that he wrote them, and he brings an interesting point to light. He talks about how we ought to live with one another. And obviously, he's talking to the Galatian folks at a particular time in a particular place, but a lot of what he has written is very helpful for us even today. And so as a result of that, I've entitled the message today, Communal Living. And I did that because that's the primary emphasis of the passage that, that we're going to read that the Apostle Paul has for us today about how we live together as brothers and sisters in the faith. Now, my first experience in communal living, outside of obviously living with my immediate family as a child, was when I went off to college. Like so many, as a freshman, I went off to college. I went to Toccoa Falls College for my first two years, from my freshman year and my sophomore year. It's located in Northeast Georgia. And on my first day at school, I met my roommate, Ramsey Goshert, great guy from Eastern Pennsylvania, sort of the Lancaster area. And we got along really well. We actually lived together for two years until I transferred to Geneva College uh, for my junior year. But anyway, Ramsey and I got along really well, really enjoyed uh, rooming with him for those two years, and we really never had any significant issues, except for one. And it was the temperature of the room. Because I'm a big guy, and we lived in Georgia, and I like the room temperature to be about 60 degrees, because Georgia is hot all year round. Ramsey weighed about 135 pounds soaking wet, and so he'd come into the room and would just freeze, and he would like the temperature to be about 70, 72. We compromised, and Ramsey bought flannel sheets. He did buy flannel sheets, and he showed me a lot of grace around this, but, and, and I, he served me really in that way, but I'd try to remember, oh, Ramsey's coming back from class, I'd bump up the thermostat a couple of notches as well, because I wanted to serve him. He was a good guy, and we really enjoyed living with each other during that season, and we tried to serve one another, and that's what we're supposed to do as believers. We're supposed to serve each other, and that's actually what the Apostle Paul points to today throughout the entirety of this passage and throughout the entirety of this message is we ought to serve one another, and I actually have it summed up in what is our take-home point for today. Our take-home point is the one point I'm going to seek to make from the Scripture today that we can take and, and live out in the days and weeks to come, and it quite simply is this. We can't go it alone. We can't go it alone. Now, that may sound pleasant enough, right? Like, oh, we get to help one another, but we'd be wise to remember the words that Pastor Chris told us last week regarding the fact that in all of these things, we need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. We need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit because, as humans, this isn't something that's natural for us. As a matter of fact, humans, by our nature, we're pretty selfish. We're pretty selfish. Typically, we care about ourselves first, and then sometimes that extends to family. But outside of that, 
it's a really a supernatural act of God for us to love others and care for them the way that God has told us to. So if you have your Bible or your Bible app, I'd invite you to, to turn to Galatians chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10 today. Also, you'll note on the screen there's a little tab that says notes. You can click on that. All the notes will be there. All the scriptures will be there as well. Uh, now, I will tell you we're going to be hopping around a little bit today as we have previous. We're going to look at a verse or two, kind of discuss it, and then look at some other verses subsequently. So just be aware of that. But before we get into the scripture, let's pray. Father God, I would ask and pray right now that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would open your word to us, that you would reveal your truth to us through this passage. We thank you for the Apostle Paul, for his writings. We thank you for the folks in Galatia. We thank you for the lessons that we get to learn from them. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit who changes and transforms us. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So Galatians chapter 6, we're going to start by looking at verse 1. Verse 1 says this, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Now, last week, Pastor Chris focused very heavily on living in and through the power of the Holy Spirit in your everyday life. And he talked about how it took him nearly 50 years to submit his anger fully to the will of the Holy Spirit in his life. I thought that was very powerful and very profound, and I was so glad that he shared that. I actually really enjoyed when he confessed and said this, I don't regret much in my life, but I regret it took me until I was 50 to get serious as a heart attack about letting the Holy Spirit win the internal battle in my life. Every day of my life, I submit my spirit, soul, and body to the Holy Spirit, and ask him to fill me and guide me. And he went on to affirm the freedom and fruit that he now experiences daily because of the role of the Holy Spirit in his life. And the Apostle Paul, because he just wrote chapter 5, right? Apostle Paul just wrote that, knew that some of the folks within the church family in Galatia would begin to do what he told them to do. They begin to live out their lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. And as a result of that, they'd begin to experience freedom, and, and that fruit would manifest in their life. And they'd look around, and they would see others, and they would go, oh, oh gosh, they haven't taken that step yet. They're still living in bondage. They're still living in sin. They'd see folks who were struggling or hurting or making very bad choices. And some of us may go, yeah, I've, I've experienced that as well. And some actually suggest that Paul is referencing here folks that were, that were Judaizers who were eventually going to turn around it and not hold to that law anymore. And he's laying out how the folks in Galatia who were living out spirit-filled lives, who were frankly, living the way that he had instructed them, how they ought to treat those who weren't yet doing that. And his guidance is very clear. You ought to restore the brother or sister gently. I love that term, gently, because an image comes to mind of a brother or sister leading someone else gently back into the fold. Now, I'll be honest, we could actually park here and have like a four-week message on how we ought to do this, uh, but we don't have time for that today. But it suffice to say that Paul tells us we must gently confront a brother or sister in sin and guide back those who are willing into the family. Now, here's what Paul knew. Paul knew that not everyone would be willing. 
right? Not everyone would be willing. Pastor Chris often says, sin is fun until it isn't. And sometimes while it's fun, we don't want to be led back. We don't want to be guided back. And Paul says, if that's the case, be cautious. You need to be wary because you don't want to fall into temptation as well. That's good advice. We must be careful that we don't fall into sin or temptation uh, as well. And so this can be a bit of a challenge. This can be, frankly, can be a bit hard. And Paul knew that in, in verses 2 and 3, he addressed the challenge and he said this, Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. Now, can I be honest? I don't like bearing other folks' burdens. Sometimes I feel like I have enough of my own. And honestly, I try to do an awful lot to avoid messy people. I actually actively try to avoid messy people a lot in my life because boundaries are helpful. Remember, Paul just told us to be careful. And if you have some issue or you're, trying to, you're going, Pastor Barry, what does that look like? I would invite you to read Henry Cloud's book, Boundaries. It's a great book that helps us understand how we can be helpful without being enabling, right? It's all about boundaries. It's a great book. But Paul clearly wasn't talking about that. He was talking about those of us who have lived spirit-filled lives or are empowered by the Holy Spirit, and we see someone who's in sin or in trouble, and we go, ah, I don't want to help. I don't want to get my hands dirty. Lord, could you send someone else? I don't have time for that today. And as much as we might not like it, we have no biblical precedent for having that attitude or displaying that behavior. None. Because as Christians, we have to get involved. We have to get involved. Regardless of our status or our position or our spiritual authority or, or any of those things, we get to help. I would say this, this is one of our primary callings on our lives as Christians to help or serve one another. Jesus himself set the example as he died for all of us, the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate service. Paul talks about that when he details the life of Jesus in Philippians chapter 2 about Jesus, how he came to serve. And we, empowered by the Holy Spirit, get to do the same thing. In fact, and this is a pretty bold statement, but it's true, if we aren't actively serving others, then we ought to pause and consider why not. Why not? As believers, as followers of Jesus, as those empowered by the Holy Spirit, we're called to serve other folks. And if we're not doing that, we should ask ourselves why. Because it's something that God has ordained that we get to do. Now, one of the challenges is when we start to get involved with others, sometimes we may begin to compare ourselves to them or them to us or a whole list of different things. And Paul knew this may happen. So in verses 4 and 5, he says this, Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. and You won't need to compare yourself to anyone else, for we're each responsible for our own conduct. Now, as I read this passage initially, I couldn't help, I wonder, help but wonder why Paul told the Galatians to kind of focus on their own work. Why the pivot here? Why is he talking about getting involved and, and now mind, mind your own work? And I think there's a number of reasons why Paul would have done this. The first is, if we start helping others, sometimes we may kind of treat it like a competition. Like, I helped 12 people today. How many people did you help? Oh, I helped this person last week. How many people did you help? You know, like we make it a competition. 
which isn't terribly helpful, but sometimes that happens. Or as we begin to help other folks, we might go, well, at least I'm not like that guy, right? Because his life's a wreck, which means that we're prideful and arrogant. Or we may look around and we go, wow, that person's helping so many folks, and how do they have the time to do that? And holy cow, I, how can I do that? How do, they, how do they even begin to help all those folks like that? And so we either, you know, playing that comparison game, we either walk away jealous or we somehow feel unworthy. That's the challenge when we start to play the comparison game because we ultimately begin to judge either ourselves or others. Our friends at SEAPC have a quote that I love, and, it's, and they say often, comparison is the root of condemnation. Because as we compare, we either condemn ourselves or we condemn other folks that we're helping. It's just not helpful. And as Pastor Chris reminded us a couple weeks ago, that comparison game, that's law. And we'd be wise to avoid that. So, Paul tells the Galatians to mind their own work lest they begin to enter into this whole comparison game, right? And let's be honest, what Paul said here can be a little confusing, and and here's why. Because he tells us to get involved, and then he's like, mind your own work. Why does he do that? Well, he does that because as we get involved, the danger is there for us to play the comparison game, and it's just not helpful. We just talked about that a little bit, but let me give you an example. Early on in, in our marriage, Les and I had the opportunity as newlyweds to hang out with a lot of different couples who were kind of in the sta- same age or stage in life as we were. I was in seminary, so there was a whole list of young couples that we could kind of hang out with. And we also lived in the Beaver County area at that point for about a decade, so we knew lots of folks. And we would have folks over for dinner or we'd go out for the evening because we didn't have kids, right? We were able to do that a lot more freely back then. And any time that we would go out with a couple, we'd always have like a little debrief at, at the end of the night and just say, wow, it was really great to hang out with them. I didn't know this about them. It's really interesting that this is how God has led in their life. Um, just always really good things talking about how we enjoyed getting to know that couple. And there was one instance in particular where we'd been out with a couple, and I can't even remember exactly who it was, but... I do remember they kind of shared how they managed some stuff within their marriage, right? They did certain things this way. And I can remember thinking when they said it like, oh gosh, that sounds weird. I wouldn't do it that way. And so as Les and I were kind of debriefing from the evening, I brought that up and I said, oh, when they said this, I found that interesting because that's not how I would do it. We were talking through that a little bit and I had a realization. It's probably one of the best realizations I've ever had in my life. I said to her in that moment, you know, what they're doing, it's not sin, it's just different. It's not how I would do it. As a matter of fact, to do it that way would annoy me. And I don't even understand why you'd do it that way. But I don't have to do it that way because they can and I don't have to. It's not sin, it's just different. It's just different. And let me tell you about the freedom that I've had in my life because I don't play that comparison game anymore. Because inevitably, whether it's in work or in relationships or in how we raise kids or whatever, folks will come up and say, I do it this way. And a lot of times in my head, I'll go, huh, well, that's interesting. That sounds terrible. It's not sin. I don't have to do it that way. And I just move on. I just move on. I go, well, God bless you. I'm reminded of this a lot oftentimes when we go on mission trips because when you go to foreign countries, they do things way differently than we do them here. 
And like, what am I, this arrogant, you know, person? Like, well, that's not how I would do it. Like, I even understand the context. I've been in country for 36 hours. And it's just something where we have to say, well, that's not how I would do it, but it's not sin, so, so that's okay. And we come alongside those folks, and we walk it out in relationship. Now, sometimes I get this wrong, right? And then I need to go back and ask for forgiveness and say, hey, this is really just a preference thing, and I thought what you were doing was dumb, and I shouldn't have thought that. But that's what we get to do. Now, if the issue is sin, we've already talked about that, right? Paul already mentions that. He gives us the process for that. We have the guide. We restore gently and humbly and cautiously, thankful for every person who has helped us as we've walked out this journey, and also very thankful for the Holy Spirit. Really, the ability to do this, friends, it's a supernatural thing. It's a supernatural thing because it's a generosity thing, and we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to do it. We remember, through that empowering of the Holy Spirit, all God has done for us, and everything that other brothers and sisters have done for us as well. And as a result, generosity pours forth from our lives. Paul talks about this in verses 6 through 10. He says this, Those who are taught the Word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we'll reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone especially to those in the family of God, excuse me, the family of faith. Now, remember, the common thread in all of this is generosity. The common thread is generosity in this passage. And Paul started by helping the Galatians to remember of their obligation to serve or to be generous with those who are teachers in their lives. Now, as a pastor, as a teacher, I'm very thankful for this passage. I'm very thankful for those of you who have continued to partner with us here at New Life and have done so generously with your time, your talent, and most notably, Paul's talking here about treasure, our resource. Because of your generosity, we've been able to do incredible things here at New Life. We are able to see missionaries go all over the world. We're able to see people come to know Jesus. Every week, it seems like someone's coming to know Jesus, or new folks are at least walking through the door. We get to see folks baptized we get to see folks come into the family of faith. And also, as a pastor, I get a paycheck. You support for my family. You provide support for my family and myself. And we have all that we need and sometimes a bit more. And that's because of your ongoing faithfulness. But Paul doesn't just stop with teachers. He expands it to every area of our lives, everyone with whom we, every, with whom we interact, everywhere we live and work and play, everything that we think and say and do, right? It's just like Paul to do this, right? For him to go, well, there's this area, but really it's this entire portion of your life. And it's not just your finance, it's everything. It's all of our actions. And I think Paul did that because... If we're honest, sometimes it's just easier to cut a check. Here's what I mean. I'm reminded of this every time my kids bring home like a fundraising thing, right? Like pepperoni rolls. How many pepperoni rolls do you need to sell? For what? Where are you going? What are you doing? And at the end of it, I always think like, how much do you need organization or good thing that my kid is doing at this moment? Like, what's the dollar amount? 
how many pepperoni rolls do I need to sell, or can I just cut you the check and be done with it today, right? Can I just write a check for $100 and I don't have to sell pepperoni rolls? Because really, my children aren't even 10 yet, and so I'm the one, or really my wife is the one selling pepperoni rolls. It's easier just to cut the check sometimes. But that's not what Paul says. Paul says that in this moment, at this point in our lives, in our faith development as believers, that we ought to be serving and pouring out generosity in every area of of our lives because that's what happens as we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. And he reminds the Galatians in extension, and by extension, us, right, that it's through the empowering of of the Holy Spirit that, that, that our lives are really marked by generosity. It's an incredible purpose, or an incredible promise and purpose for our lives. Now, if we aren't generous, Paul's clear. We're going to basically serve our own sinful nature, and we're going to harvest decay. We're going to harvest death, which is a terrible thing to think through, right? But that's what happens when we look out for number one. If we just look out for ourselves, we'll harvest decay. Paul actually must have really believed in this because he says something very similar in a letter that he wrote to the church in Corinth. It's recorded in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 10, and Paul says this. Remember this, a farmer who, who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your own heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the only one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. And that's always the point, is that as we're generous, God pours out generosity into us so that we can continue to pour it out and we'll have what we need. The main point, really, in both passages is this. As we live full of the Holy Spirit, generosity pours forth from our lives, and we get to get involved and serve other folks. So we enter into relationship with God and with them, and and it pours out in our time, our talent, our treasure, and our touch. And Paul goes on to tell the Galatians that they're going to reap a blessing. And what's the blessing? Well, I think the blessing is what we read about in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, where it says this, it's far better to give than to receive. Far better to give than to receive. So when we give, we serve one another, that generosity pours forth, and the blessing that we receive is knowing that we're poured out ultimately for God's purpose. And that's an incredible purpose and promise. It gives purpose to our very lives. And you're thinking, well, isn't the blessing material? Sometimes, but not always. Sometimes it's material. Sometimes it's spiritual. Sometimes it's just knowing that we're doing what God has called us to do. And is there a better place to be than that? I don't think so. Paul says we won't tire of doing good, but this generosity will give us opportunity, right? And we're supposed to do good whenever we have the opportunity. What an amazing way to live. 
I, actually, as I was writing this, I thought about the old commercials for the Prize Patrol. I don't know if any of you remember the Prize Patrol, like the publisher's clearinghouse Prize Patrol. And they would drive around in that minivan until they found the house. It, it was all staged, but until they found the house of the person that they had to give the check to, and they pulled the giant check out of the minivan, and they'd run up to the house because they were being generous, right? They were giving these folks an incredible gift, and that's how our lives ought to be. We ought to be actively pouring out into folks at every possible instance, at every possible turn. And what we get to give away is way better than a big cardboard check. It's way better than that. Think about that. Think of how abundantly we could live our lives. But, as Pastor Chris said last week, in order to do this, we have to, have to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Because when we do, we realize how thankful we ought to be for what God has done for us and for all those folks who have poured into us. It's interesting, but every year I realize how little I actually know. It seems like every year that I, that I gain a year in age, I realize how little I actually know. And then I'm reminded of all the folks who have helped me along the way. And I'm reminded of this pretty consistently because I invest a tremendous amount of time in people. It's actually one of the things I enjoy doing the most. And inevitably, every week, someone with whom I'm meeting or in whom I'm investing will say something that I know for certain I have said something very similar when I was in a similar age or stage of development. And I'll remember saying it. And now I remember, oh, yeah, I remember when I believed that. And then I remember this person who helped guide me in that, who helped lead me in that, who gave me a greater perspective. And I'm thankful for the Holy Spirit who prompted me about that. And so I get to play that role now that so many have played for me. And even when I was in sin, I think of those folks who gently and lovingly came alongside and said, hey, have you considered? Have you thought this through? Are you willing? Friends, we don't get to do life alone. We shouldn't. We shouldn't go in alone. This isn't a solo journey. Supported by others and empowered by the Holy Spirit, we'll live out what is our next step for this week, which is this. I will invest in someone this week. Now, I don't know who the Lord would have you invest in, nor do I know who may be investing in you. But I do know this, that as you're empowered by the Holy Spirit, the Lord will begin to bring those folks into your life because he's brought them into mine. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if you begin to experience those birth pains that we discussed in Galatians chapter 4, where Paul said he cared so much for the people of Galatia, he had to do this for them. And in the same way, we'll experience that for others. But what I do know is that whether the recipient is someone of which we're aware or not yet aware, as we live out our lives empowered by the Holy Spirit, generosity pours forth and we get to come alongside brothers and sisters and pour into them, restoring them gently and lovingly as so many have gently and lovingly restored us. And we can ultimately serve one another as Jesus himself served us by giving himself as a sacrifice for each and every one of us. And that is an incredible promise. Amen? Amen. May we live it out this week. Now, true freedom 
starts with a relationship with Jesus. And as I just mentioned, Jesus served us first, which is an incredible thing for the God of the universe to do. And he did so by coming to earth and living a life that we couldn't live and dying a death that we should have died so that we can have hope and restoration that we could not achieve on our own. If you've yet to accept Jesus as Savior and Lord of your life, why not today? We say here at New Life it's something that's simple. It's not easy. It's simple because Jesus made it simple. It's not easy because it's a first step that will really encompass the rest of our lives. And so if you'd like to take that step today, we'd invite you to do so. I'm actually going to pray here in a moment. But we say here at New Life, it's as simple as A, B, C. Admit, believe, confess. We admit that we're sinners, that we're in need of Jesus in our lives. We believe. We believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is Lord, which means that he gets to tell us what to do, and Savior, which means that he saves us from sin and death, and that ultimately he is the Son of God because he declared that is who he is and who he was and frankly who he will be forever and then we confess we confess our sins but we also confess our need for Jesus in our in our lives and we say quite simply Jesus I need you to lead guide and directly direct me to become the Savior and Lord of my life if that's something that you are prompted to do in a moment I'm going to pray and I'd invite you to pray with me if during that time you do commit your life to Jesus, would you please let us know by, by clicking the button in the chat, and that'll connect you with someone who can pray with you and follow up with you because this is a vital next step, and we would love to do that with you today. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We praise you for who you are. Lord, I thank you that you served us first, that you redeemed us first, and empowered by the Holy Spirit, we get to go forth and serve one another in love. Lord, right now I would pray for any who do not yet know you. And I would ask right now by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would prompt their spirits, that you would prick their hearts, that even now they would begin to lay down their lives to you, ultimately saying, dear Jesus, I am a sinner in need of your salvation. I confess that I cannot do this life on my own. I believe you are who you say you are, that you are the Lord and Savior of my life, that you are the Son of God. And right now, would you come into my life? Would you rule and reign? I submit it to you, starting now and for the rest of my life, that you would be the Lord and Savior over me. And that ultimately I would live out this life every day, empowered by your Holy Spirit. And Father God, I would pray for each and every one of us who do know you, that right now we would commit to living lives empowered by you, that your fruit would pour forth from our lives, that your generosity would be a marker in everything that we think and say and do. God, I thank you and I praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, everyone. May you have a blessed week.